everyone. Welcome to a new edition of the OPC Foundation podcast, the home of industrial interoperability. My name is Peter Seberg and I'm your host. Today we'll be talking to Eric Barnstedt. He is Chief Architect, Standards, Consortia, Industrial IoT, Azure Action Platform. That's a mouthful at Microsoft. And uh, Eric and I today are going to talk about building the industrial metaverse with OPC UA. Hello, Eric. How are you doing? Hi, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. Actually, regular listeners of the OPC Foundation podcast, they will recall, they will say, isn't that the guy? Didn't I just recognize his voice? I believe he was with us before. You recall when that was and what we talked about, Eric? Yeah, it was a while ago, wasn't it? It was um, about some of the open source uh, contributions I've made to the OPC Foundation. Exactly. It was April uh, 2020. So those listeners that want to want to come back, that want to have more from you. And then at the end, maybe we'll talk, maybe we'll hear you again uh, sometime soon. But then, nevertheless, maybe you want to quickly introduce yourself to our listeners. Uh, and although I'm sure... Uh, not most, all listeners will have heard about your company, Microsoft. Maybe, nevertheless, a quick introduction into maybe the division, the area that you work in, and also how you relate to the OPC uh, Foundation, uh, OPC UA architecture. Sure. So, my name is Eric Barnstedt. Um I've been with Microsoft for 20 years now. The last 10, I focused on manufacturing or industrial um, scenarios. I'd say I've been working with the OPC Foundation nine years now, specifically. So very soon when we started the uh, Windows Industrial IoT team, right. uh, we realized that differentiating on supporting open standards, open interfaces, open data models, and then also open source was, was the right strategy. And uh, we reached out to the OPC Foundation because it was a good fit. And of course, they were very happy to collaborate with us. So, you know, we started contributing a, a reference stack based on .NET for OPC OA to the OPC Foundation. Later, we moved that to .NET Standard, which is a cross-platform version of .NET, um, also runs on Linux. Then, about two years later, we moved to the Azure team and started the Azure Industrial IoT team and, you know, built that up. And, you know, I think a lot of the success we had with Azure Industrial IoT, it's you know, been the number one industrial IoT platform by Gartner and all the other analysts, IDC, et cetera, et cetera, for years now. I think a lot of that success has to do with our full support of OPC OA. Mm -hmm. And that was uh, driven by yourself. I mean, you were, were at that time based in Europe, in Munich or wherever. Right. Yeah, so, you know, I, I, built, I started a team, built it up. I mean... I think now we have over 50 people in the team. It's split between Munich and, and Redmond. Okay. Um, I left the team then two years ago to focus on my standards and consortium work full-time. So the team is now run by somebody else, but I continue to uh, collaborate and advise the team, of course. But I really you know, had to follow my passion of actually moving the entire industry forward with continued investment in OBC way as a standard, developing it further, especially when it comes to cloud technology and so on. So I basically made a deal with my CVP at the time who uh, offered me to to do this full time, which of course I accepted straight away. 
CVP acronym for senior vice president, I assume. Corporate vice president. Sorry. I'm smart. <laughs> there you go. So, so at Microsoft, you have Satya at the top, and then you have executive vice presidents, then you have corporate vice presidents, and then you have the individual teams. Good. So, yeah, I mean, as I'm sure if we would ask um, Stefan Hopper, the president of the OPC Foundation, he will not, not even by having been asked, he will always say that your team at Microsoft has been and continues to be the biggest open source a contributor of whatever is in relation to uh, OPC, OPC Foundation, OPC UA. And on that basis, also, you recently made an open source contribution called UA Cloud Metaverse. Now, before we get into that, which is kind of the topic of uh, today's episode, maybe you first want to share with us what is Metaverse, what is the Metaverse, how many are there, what specifically then would be the industrial Metaverse? Yeah, sure. So... The metaverse as such is actually not a new thing. It's been around for a few years, but got a lot of attention last year. I think when when Facebook did a lot of investment in the technology, although Facebook is kind of focused on, or meta as they're now known, is focused on consumer metaverse. So basically hanging out socially or buying things, you know, you can buy things in the metaverse. And in general, it's a digital space where you could meet other people and do something, hang out, play a game, go shopping, all the things that people do in the real world, you can also do in the metaverse. And then there's the industrial metaverse and the industrial metaverse is, is quite different, right? The industrial metaverse is focused on achieving a process or a task in collaboration with equipment and human beings. It's a, like an interface to machines and industrial processes, which is branding, right? So it's just a new interface. Previously, we had SCADA systems, HMIs. Now we also have the industrial metaverse. Okay. So when you mentioned then uh, uh, Facebook, Meta, and the way you describe it is there was this thing called Second Life, I believe, was that 10 years ago for those listeners who were already out there, uh, which at that time, I believe, did not continue. So at least like a company like um, Facebook, Meta, strongly believes in the consumer-oriented, and, uh, and that's what we're going to talk about today. You believe in the industrial version, the industrial metaverse. So is, is that then also based on the UA Cloud initiative that you have started with the OPC Foundation? Yeah, it is. I mean, the UA Cloud initiative is really a kind of an umbrella term for all things to do with OPC UA in the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. So it goes from, you know, using OPC UA pops up to send data to the cloud in a standardized format, but also... You remember a few years ago, we talked about the cloud library, an online store of uh, OPC UA information models that you can freely access. And, and the cloud uh, initiative uh, keeps expanding, keeps expanding with new technologies that are useful for interaction with the cloud or achieving a task in the cloud. And, you know, the cloud meta, UA cloud metaverse initiative. It's, it started off as a working group, but also a collaboration between the OPC Foundation and the Digital 
a twin could sort you in the US because really digital twins are kind of the foundation of cloud metaverse applications and no better technology than OPC UA to create those industrial digital twins. Yeah, it's always impressive to hear you say this. It's, um, you know, exactly what, of course, the OPC Foundation, but that is so good. You know, you're not, you are not OPC Foundation and a strong believer. So, uh, again, making this, this, this comparison between consumer and business, you know, between meta, a kind of, you know, Facebook out there and in the industrial metaverse. Now, I can start thinking of a digital version of, as you just said, you know, of our factories now, of designing, of producing. But in the end, production, I assume, you know, is still going to be a tangible thing, you know, will still take place in factories. So what then are the benefits of an industrial metaverse? Yeah, so... The benefits are actually quite broad. When you go into discussing the benefits, you really have to start from a set of use cases. And what's what's different about the industrial metaverse uh, in comparison to other technologies is that the use cases really can be split in two categories, right? So there are the use cases that leverage virtual reality technology, where you are completely immersed in the industrial metaverse all you see is the industrial metaverse your real world surroundings are completely gone and then there's the augmented reality technology where you're placing metaverse assets metaverse digital twins into the real world so you have a mix of the real world and all your perception of the real world continues to exist so you see it you hear it you feel the real world but you can also see digital assets, digital twins of physical assets in the metaverse that will help you get a particular task done. So I think the best thing is to talk about specific use case examples, right? So a specific use case for the virtual reality technology of the industrial metaverse, we've actually shown that Hannover Messe were we turn the Hanover Messe fairgrounds into a wind park. Of course, you can do that in the metaverse. I mean, you can do anything in the metaverse. Mm -hmm. And the wind park, as you know, OPC Way is quite uh, popular with wind park operators and wind park or wind turbine manufacturers. So we took the IEC information model based on OPC Way. It's, it's currently in, in review and draft. It's not released yet, but the uh, working group is working on it. Well, we took that information model, we built it into a wind turbine simulation, and then we placed those wind turbines on the Hanover Messe fairground in the metaverse, and then it built a virtual dashboard where you saw some of the performance indicators of the wind turbines individually and as a wind park as a whole. And you could put on a virtual reality headset and then see this wind park on the Hanover Mesa Fairground and its performance indicators. Right. So you have information at your fingertips of a thing that doesn't exist in real life. And you can do things like, you know, place the wind turbines in different locations, right. run wind simulations, 
I mean, we had basic weather data in the in the demo. It was just a demo, but you know, um, I know that wind park operators have very complex fluid dynamic models to see what the turbulence of the individual blades um, cause to the environment, and you know, placing the wind turbines in a in a fashion that they are most efficient and so on. So that happens in real life already, and now you can also do that in the metaverse. So this, this is a great example for a use case for a virtual reality. Is that then, is that typically happening at the very beginning of a design process? You know, yeah. just the wind turbine manufacturer and the engineer is sitting and is looking at all these different potential sites and by means of this use case is going to come up with an improved, a better proposal than they could do before so, so i'm not a, a wind park expert right but from what i know from talking to some of our customers who are either building wind turbines or operating wind parks that's exactly what happens so they first um, pick a site and then when they pick the site they can place the wind turbines in different places and then see what what efficiency they get yeah based on the terrain and turbulence and, and obstructions, you know, sometimes there's mountains in the way, whatnot. So this is all uh, taken into account. Correct. Very good. And there you have a, a use case example of the augmented digital twin use case as well. I do, yeah. So one of the most popular ones that also is actually something Microsoft um, has been talking about for many years before, even before the metaverse was really popular, um, is the remote assisted maintenance scenario so imagine an oil rig full of machines and when a machine breaks on an oil rig and the person or the people on the oil rig don't have the skills to re repair the machine well you have exactly two options you can fly out an expert on a helicopter which involves training with, which for personally i would never do it, it involves being fully closed and strapped into your seat and then submerged into a water tank and then you have to unbuckle yourself swim out of the cage that you're in which is supposed to simulate the helicopter and then swim to the surface all by yourself which is training in case the helicopter ditches in the water right a job for real men and real women well that's it i mean it's something um that you can count me out right uh, i would not like to do that um, but, you know, that's one option. The other option involves a ship, which takes a long time to get to the oil rig, obviously, and then a crane and, a, and like a cage attached to the crane where you need to get into the cage and then the crane hoists you onto the oil rig. Also not very comfortable and certainly dangerous. So wouldn't it be great if the people on the oil rig had a augmented reality headset like HoloLens, put it on, create a connection to the expert who can sit at his desk comfortably on shore and see what the operator on the oil rig sees. And then they can even paint arrows and highlights into the field of view of the operator that's on the oil rig. And obviously there's a video conference call going on as well at the same time. So the expert, the machine builder can talk the person on the oil rig through the maintenance process. Nowadays, oil rigs, they don't just have a oil pipeline 
going to shore. They also have a fiber optic connection, obviously. So internet connectivity onto oil rigs is actually quite good. So video conference calls and these augmented reality interactive scenarios are, are very well possible with, with oil rigs that exist today. So right. in my opinion, that's, that's a great example where, I mean, and then of course there's a cost, right? There's a cost implication as well where, you know, you don't have to pay for an helicopter flight, you know, and the other big scenario for the augmented reality use case, or sometimes even the virtual reality use case is safety, right? When you're training your personnel on a, you know, dangerous task, right? Where things may, you know, explode or hazardous uh, materials involved or whatever, you really want to train your personnel in a safe environment rather than just throwing them into the deep end and say, you know, figure it out, you know? So for that perspective, you know, the industrial metaverse is great for training purposes where you can train people on a realistic scenario without causing any harm or any danger to the people getting trained. Great use case. Also showing the augmentation. I was thinking um, my son just a couple of days ago, he had this child chair in front of him. His son was there, but the straps were off and he was calling the mother, how can I get the straps back? And it was, you know, me being an engineer, I have my problems as well. But the point is, uh, in the end, we, we only through words could not explain how the straps have come off. This just came into my thought. And here we come to the augmentation. So you say the person on the oil rig uh, puts on their, uh, their lens and they themselves, I assume, receive additional information in the screen. Correct. And they, they are kind of the eyes of the expert uh, sitting on shore. Is that right? Yeah, the eyes and hands, you know, so I mean, the expert could say, you know, now undo this bolt, now cut that wire, cut the blue wire, not the red wire, you know, those kind of things. Okay. And with the next level, then another thought with the, you know, that's not the area we're talking about medicine, the surgeon on the other side, not only being then, as you say, the eyes, but also maybe the hands, um, mm. but that will be probably the next level up. It would be, yeah. I mean, obviously if you're operating on a human being, um, requirements go up exponentially, right? So it's hard enough to, to fix a machine, believe me, but operating on a human, although that's also a scenario, of course, um, it's, it's next level, I agree. <laughs> good. Very, two very, very good uh, use cases that speak to us, speak to me, to our listeners, I'm sure. And you are following both those top level directions, both the VR uh, as well as the augmented use cases, right? Correct. So we, we focused on the virtual reality use case first, because we're also in the working group. I mean, we're also under time pressure because Hanover Messe was just around the corner. So we focused on that. It was, it was quick to achieve. We've also now focused on other use cases like the augmented reality use case uh, with the remote assisted maintenance scenario. And uh, we'll continue to explore how OPC way plays a role in it. But I mean, the pattern that is emerging is always the same. So rather than, you know, starting from scratch and, and modeling your, your, your assets that you want to place into the metaverse, you just pick the existing OPC way information model. I mean, let's face it, OPC way is 
popular because of all the standardized information models that it provides. Perfect timing. I was going to ask, so how does then OPC UA fit into the industrial metaverse? You kind of uh, came to it already. What can it or what will be its uh, its role? Yeah, so, I mean, what was kind of a, a struck of luck is the collaboration that the OPC Foundation started with the Digital Twin Consortium because the Digital Twin Consortium is one of the few organizations that have really embraced digital twin technology for different verticals manufacturing is one of them and you know they have a large open source initiative themselves microsoft is a big contributor um, and they're really focusing on recommending a set of patterns a set of standards that people can reuse quickly to achieve a certain application outcome that they're that they want to do so this is something that the opc foundation and digital twin consortium agreed on very quickly that for industrial scenarios, OPC way is, is, the, is the right choice. And obviously with all the information models already available, I mean, we have over 80, 90 of them, even maybe if it's a hundred, I, I, I keep losing track because there's so many new information models that get standardized through the OPC foundation every, every week almost. And uh, anyway, those are available and in the cloud library, right? So you can access them very quickly and then integrate them into your industrial metaverse application, right? And and the you know Digital Twin Consortium did a fantastic job of embracing that and then collaborating with the OPC Foundation to achieve those uh, integration patterns. Very good. So what tools do listeners that say, oh, I want to, that's what I want to start doing as well. What What is it they need uh, to build an industrial metaverse application? Yeah, no, that's where it becomes really interesting because, you know, Industry for All was all about IT and OT convergence, right? Where all of a sudden, OT personnel needed to talk to IT personnel and, you know, share their skills and knowledge to achieve a good outcome, right? And with the industrial metaverse, you're piling an additional technology on top now where, you know, technology that was previously only used in, in computer games, and, you know, 3D applications, you know, like AutoCAD and uh, 3D, 3D Studio Max, those kind of applications, those skills are now also required, right? And, you know, personally, I, I struggled at first. I mean, I used to work in the computer games industry um, before I joined Microsoft. So I had a bit of background, let's say, and I knew where the tools were and how they worked in general. But man, it's hard to build a decent looking 3D model of a factory, right? So luckily enough, you can you can buy them off the shelf. There's enough websites out there where you can buy 3D models and that's what people do. There's a bunch of freely available models for machines available. And if you look at industrial metaverse applications, they always use the same models because obviously they, they download them for free, but you can buy them, right? You can, you can get those models and then, you know, with the right tools like Blender is a tool, um, you know, we used uh, Unity as a as a modeling and a rendering engine tool. There's um, Unreal, the Unreal engine. Uh, Unity had the advantage that you can program it in C Sharp, which is what I use when I program. So it was an obvious choice for me. And then you need to get familiar with those new tools that you've never used before, right? And and become, you know, sort of an expert in, in how they work and how they interact with data, right? So obviously you need to get those OPC way information models into the tool somehow, right? 
And and that's a new skill, right? So the unfortunate, or maybe it's the fortunate result is that you need to bring even more people to sit down at the table and help you achieve a certain outcome. So you have, you know, 3D game engine designers, or, or let's say 3D artists, at least. You have 3D game engine developers. You have OT experts, and you have IT experts all sitting at the table to build these industrial metaverse applications, right? And that's a new thing, right? So that hasn't been done before, and it's it's going to be a challenge. I mean, I remember all the dramatic arguments people had when the OT personnel and the IT personnel had difference of opinion about how to solve a certain problem. And, and this will even become more complex with the industrial metaverse and any product manager that takes on the challenge of building applications for the industrial metaverse will have to solve those cultural differences, right? So, so I think that's going to be the, the biggest challenge. It's not the tools, it's the, it's the cultural differences that these different engineers and, and developers bring to the table. Right, but it's the information technology, let's call it that, at the highest level, bringing people together. I mean, as you say, at the beginning, maybe not. And interestingly, there was another name, Demis uh, Hassabis. Not sure you know him or listeners have heard the former former DeepMind CEO now, I uh, believe, CEO of the Google, whatever they call themselves, AI. And he started also in the games environment. In this case, it was... I'm not sure the details that later on it was chess. So it seems to be very interesting that people coming from that world, or maybe the other way around as well, coming from you know the industrial world, moving into games, but bringing, bringing it all together. So you mentioned a couple of different names here. Uh, it's obvious. So where do listeners that want to start, where do they go? OPC UA information models, that's clear from the OPC Foundation. But is there another central place you called a couple of names? I, I said, is there a central place where people can go? So there is a registry of metaverse applications. I know PCOA is, is, is listed there as well as technology. I'll have to look up the, the URL for it, but it's, it's something like metaverse registry or something like okay, that. Well, so you'll find it. You know, that's where, that's where people can get an initial summary. But of course, you know, obviously the OPC Foundation also has the UA Cloud Metaverse application as a starting point available open source, right? I mean, Microsoft contributed that solution to the OPC Foundation. It's on the OPC Foundation GitHub webpage. And people can go there straight away to, to get going and, you know, to use, you know, the Cloud Metaverse application as a template, right, for, for their own particular scenario and the good news is that it actually uses the Microsoft Mixed Reality Toolkit which means that it works for virtual reality headsets and augmented reality headsets like HoloLens. So those toolkits are really handy if you don't want to tie yourself to a certain uh, headset, right? Where, you know, since the metaverse is so new, I mean, it, it really sucks if you happen to have the wrong headset for a certain application, right? And, and you end up having to buy several headsets just because applications only support one type, right? And and that mixed reality toolkit is kind of hardware independent and you can pick from a large uh, selection of different headsets that are supported in the toolkit. It's like an abstraction layer over the hardware, if you like. Let's uh, finish off, Eric, with a little discussion maybe, or at least first uh, hearing from you uh, in how far the 
industrial metaverse is going to change the way we work slash i mean um you know we live in the middle of it I'm not sure you want to spend two three sentences on it already uh you suggested we could spend a complete new podcast on for example chat gpt uh generative and the other thing is also i'm going to ask you a little bit later maybe on on open source so what is what is kind of the big thing of what we heard you say how this approach with the industrial metaverse and the other technologies around that we hear about all day these days uh, how is it going to change the way we work the way that we i don't know build factories build wind farms yeah i think there's a real opportunity i think one of the things that needs to happen before it becomes widespread is the cost of the hardware needs to come down still quite expensive right because obviously units sold are, are not that great but that'll happen right that'll happen over time and when it does it becomes second nature just like you have a cell phone you have a virtual reality headset which you know will be a lot less bulky than the versions that we have today where it's almost like wearing a normal set of glasses right and you will have that information at your fingertips i mean with HoloLens 2, which is really cool, um, it obviously detects your your hand. And then when, when your hand is in your field of view, you have a little Windows logo on your palm that you can click on, right? Oh, obviously, virtual Windows logo. It's almost like a tattoo, right? And you click on that little Windows logo and it brings up the menu. I mean, that's mm -hmm. ingenious, right? And those are the kind of technologies that will be commonplace. Just like you unlock your, your iPhone, you will do a gesture with your hand and click on a menu and it will bring up uh, the virtual metaverse right in front of you, wherever you are, right? And, you know, applications will be obviously built into your to your headset and you can run those applications and, you know, have information at your fingertips, look at your overall equipment, effectiveness, whatever it may be of your factory, no matter where you are. You could be having a, a latte in, in the coffee shop while you're doing it, right? And and these are the kind of next level applications that are possible with the metaverse. And I mean, it's, it's you know, it's it sounds like a, a scene out of Minority Report, but that's effectively where we're going, right? You know, it's it's going to take time for the technology to become available, for the technology to become more affordable. But then we will have those applications at our fingertips, and you know, it's literally at our fingertips, and. And this is exactly where, where things will be going, in my opinion. It's going to take time. And again, technology needs to go through a few iterations to, to get there. But, but it will. It always does. So are we going to see more decentralization for that? I mean, specifically less travel as we talk, not being thrown in the water, uh, sitting at home, homework less traffic um is is that one big thing that is is kind of a result that we want to see happen anyway because of climate change um i guess well less traffic and uh, is always good like you mentioned for the environment right and quite frankly i mean the pandemic has shown us that people actually or even after the pandemic was over people actually prefer to work when they want and where they want and not having to come into the office every morning and, and, and beat rush hour. And, you know, I think the metaverse can be a great uh, alternative to a, an in-person meeting in a conference room, right? Where, you know, people will have their avatars there or, or even a, a 3D model uh, rendered of their, of their own 
face and, and body, right? So that's also technology that is already available. And I think that that is something that will certainly change how people go to these business meetings, but specifically for industrial applications, especially when it comes to hazardous environments, I think we will we will see that automation will continue to to get better and where human interaction or human intervention is required that can also be achieved with the metaverse without putting people in harm's way and the safety aspect and keeping workers safe while they're working in a hazardous environment is the number one use case uh, and then of course the cost reduction so again less travel is i think to um, help the environment is is more on the consumer side on the you know information worker side if you like saving costs keeping people safe is more on the industrial metaverse side so those are the those are the kind of big drivers of right. pushing this technology forward okay you'd already mentioned chat gpt we could do a complete a new podcast maybe we do that sometime but maybe two three sentences completely other thing from the industrial metaverse or could it be a potential extension? Uh, does it fit in or does it not fit into what we've just been talking about? So, so ChatGPT obviously is, is a tool, right? It's a tool where people can automate mundane jobs. I mean, I think this whole discussion that, you know, ChatGPT will replace uh, certain jobs is, is bogus. I don't think that's going to happen. But I think what ChatGPT will do for us is that it will help us automate mundane jobs that nobody enjoys doing. And then you can focus your time and effort on more valuable and more fulfilling work. So from that perspective, it's it's kind of orthogonal to the industrial metaverse because the industrial metaverse is all around digital twins and, and augmenting you know real life um, assets with digital assets. Um, ChatGPT is a tool to automate mundane jobs. I think that's the best way to describe it. Okay. We should definitely do another podcast on ChatGPT because within the OPC Foundation, we're also actually working on integrating ChatGPT to generate OPC OA information models for a certain class of fixed function, fixed data model assets automatically. So previously, talking about mundane jobs, previously you'd have to read the operator manual, find the data tags, manually type them into a computer program, and make sure you don't mix up two letters or numbers, and you know the way it goes. You know, it's, it's usually, it doesn't work the first time you try it. And then, you know, you feed that into an application, and that application then maps the asset into an OPC OA server into an OPC OA address space, right? So wouldn't it be great if that whole process could be automated and you just basically ask ChatGPT to generate that mapping file from, you know, basically the, the instruction manual in PDF form to an OPC OA information model. So, so that's what we're working on. And initial results, especially with ChatGPT 4, are quite promising. They're not perfect, but they're promising. And, and, you know, it definitely beats manually typing all the stuff in from scratch. Very good. So chat GPT and the industrial metaverse are orthogonal. Uh, I believe to understand that that means there is somewhere a crossing point and maybe I may put it in my words that 
most of our listeners will be working sooner or later in the industrial metaverse and will most likely be using ChatGPT other generative tools and will at some point across their their work day, you know, maybe you know intertwine one and uh, and the other. But you say they're they're two different um, approaches. Yeah. So maybe a final question, if I may, came to my thought from the point where you are a huge and the biggest uh, open source provider of uh, OPC UA to the OPC um, Foundation. There have been a couple of things I already mentioned, has nothing to do directly, but the name of, of Demis, that was a famous article, he said, well, maybe the end of open source. And now we had also the complete development of um, OpenAI and Transformers and where they came from Google. And there's so many other things related to this uh, this big thing that we can and should talk to uh, sometime. But I the, the, the question then is, for that reason, certain companies like, for example, then let's say Google, you or Microsoft, and then there's Google and, and the other big ones. And, and there's specific uh, directions towards closing you know that that certain companies say oh this was open source technology and maybe others are now using it shall we continue where do you see open source as a as an approach of developing software for the world where do you see that um, going you know growing you know becoming less specific areas or well, I think open source is definitely the future. It was part of our strategy for the last 10 years. And mm -hmm. again, one of the reasons why we're so successful. I mean, people still think that when you open source something, you're not allowed to charge for it. That's bogus, right? That, you know, there's no relation to be able to charge for software and open sourcing it, right? It's uh, Richard Stallman. I remember he he explained it once very well. It's the difference between free speech and free beer, right? They're not the same thing, right? We we know the term free beer in 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 German, exactly. Right. So, but it's not the same, right? Yeah. Open source is all around free speech and having nothing to hide and building trust with the ecosystem because people can look at the code if they feel like it, and also contribute to the code because you know. I, I do a lot of open source. I contribute over a million source lines of code per year to folks, obviously, like the OPC Foundation and Digital Twin Consortium, et cetera, et cetera. I have nothing but positive feedback from folks because of it. And they sometimes even say, oh, look, by the way, I found a bug and here's the fix, right? Awesome. Awesome. Right? That's exactly how it should work. I think embracing open source is the future, right? You can still charge for the product, right? Nothing stops you from charging for the product if it's open source. And people, and then it's like, oh, people say, oh no, but then the competition can steal our ideas. No, what people want is to pay for a service, not for a license. The, the value is not in the license of your software. The value is in the outcome that your software provides to the user. And that's what they're willing to pay for. But a lot of people still haven't got that in their in their head. But anyway, they will in time. And I think it's it's going to be more, a lot more open source in the future, not less. Eric, thank you very much. A great closure, great topic. Directly from the horse's mouth, so to speak. I'm gonna get back to you and 
definitely um, expect hope for an update for another uh, podcast on the topic of generative uh, chat GPT. If you, dear listener, want to learn more, we, we talked about a little bit about OPC UA technology, but the OPC Foundation, maybe you want to listen to the preceding OPC Foundation podcast editions. You can visit a website at uh, opcfoundation.org. Uh, if you have a proposal for topics, maybe you're interested in appearing on the OPC Foundation podcast, maybe you want to join the OPC UA companion uh, specification working groups, maybe you want to become a member, you can uh, mail the OPC Foundation at office at opcfoundation.org. It was great to have you with us today. If you liked what you heard, give us a thumbs up, spread the news, and looking forward to have you with us again. And um, Eric, thank you very much for having been my guest today. Peter, thank you for having me, as always. Pleasure. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.